It's been nearly two years since Myanmar fell into chaos, after the country's military junta staged a coup. The civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, had won a democratic election by a landslide, but she was arrested and has been imprisoned ever since. People flooded the streets to protest, and the military crackdown was brutal. Since then, thousands of people have died, and around a million have fled their homes. After the coup of February 2021, I felt that there was a need to, to try at least to go and report on the country. Siegfried Modela is a photojournalist and documentary photographer. He recently spent weeks inside Myanmar for the globe, traveling with one of the rebel forces that's fighting the military regime. As the time after the coup went by and, and people protested on the streets after they started arresting and detaining thousands of people and killing, basically we, we stopped hearing and reading what was happening inside because it was basically impossible for journalists to get those news out. The few that they were, they were doing this at a high risk to themselves and their family. Today, Siegfried tells us what he saw in the country. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Siegfried, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. Of course, Myanmar is not an easy place to get into right now, especially for a journalist. How did you manage to get into the country? Well, the access uh, was in this particular story was uh, was challenging, uh, to say the least. Um, I went in uh, illegally because it, it was impossible to obtain a journalist visa through a different country, and then eventually I was picked up at the border by uh, close to the border by by the Kareni army representatives, um, and that meant of me arriving at the border and then waiting for a few days, crossing at night uh, through jungle and forest, walking for hours, then at ar- arriving at a camp on the other side, waiting a few other days. This, you know, we have to imagine this is monsoon season, it's raining a lot, humidity level that's over the roof, and that walking terrain, it's very hard, it's thick, dense jungle. Um, so if you're not with a local, you'll never find your way in and you will get lost. Um, so once on the other side, uh, basically then with a, with a group of uh, many soldiers, civilians, local politicians, uh, we walked for four days nonstop uh, from the morning to the evening. We slept on hammocks in the middle of the jungle on the shores of rivers and up high mountains uh, to arrive uh, in the middle of Kareni state where there is towns and villages and where the fighting is happening. And, and so as you say, you were embedded with the Kareni army, which is a, a rebel group there in, in Myanmar. How did you arrange this, this embed with, with the rebel forces? Through months of networking. Um, this is one, if, you know, I believe that Taking pictures, it's 50% of what we, we do of our job. The rest is is the work of actually getting 
on location. So uh, I got in touch through organizations and then uh, people um, that were uh, working directly on the ground in one um, capacity and the other, uh, local NGOs, uh, academics, and eventually I managed to get through um, people in high command that they wanted to meet me first to make sure that I could do the work and to make sure that I could actually stay there for as much time as they wanted me to stay there and they wanted to make sure that I was going to be able to publish the work. Yeah. I want to ask you about the commander that that you were traveling with. Can you tell me about him? Well, it's um, quite quite a person, Uh, very young, 27 years old. He was an activist before the coup, and the coup happened in February 2021. Um, He was arrested uh, because of his activism job, and then he picked up a gun and joined the Kareni army and quickly rose ranks to become one of the third top commanders in Kareni state. And he's taking care and leading a unit of about anything between 25 to 35 men, day and night. And we have to remember that these people, him including, haven't seen his family since the coup began, because because they all come from different places. It's all very young people that are fighting the government, the military junta. And so it's, uh, it's, it feels basically like a family, and this commander feels a little bit like the father of all these young people. Mm. So his job is to keep the morale up, and his job is also to keep them safe when they actually go and fight, because fighting then things happen and they die as well. Mm. And I'll, I'll ask you about those young people that you mentioned then. Like what, what did you hear from those people about why they were there fighting with this Karenni army group? Uh, you know, I think for this we have to understand a little bit of the history of Burma, uh, of uh, Myanmar. You know, seven, uh, 74 years of independence and nearly seven decades of military rule. The country has gone through one general and one dictator at a time. And these dictators and generals have led the country by the barrel of a gun. Uh, I think people now are tired tired of uh, the military regime, tired of the suppression that has been going on for decades. And all the young people that I met, all the fighters, all the activists, all the people involved in this uh, struggle, in this um, civil war, because we can call it a civil war now, in this rebellion, say that they want a, a future free of military rule. And they say, this is the time now that we fight and we have to fight until the end. There is no going back. If we do not fight, we will be slaves and we will keep on being slaves of the military junta. After the, the military coup happened in, in February 2021, there were weeks of, of peaceful protest. Uh, I guess, why are those people who were protesting in the early days, why are they now taking that, that different approach, the, the more combative approach, and, and joining the rebel forces to, to literally fight in, the, in this way? Uh, I, I believe that thousands, the millions of young people and uh, people in the country that that joined the protest uh, the days following the coup, then quickly realized that there was no other way because the, um, the protests were squashed very quickly. Thousands of people were arrested, many were detained, they were tortured, many were killed. Up to now, uh, nearly 2,000 people have been killed in the conflict, but the UN says that over a million people has, has been displaced in the country. And the, the amount of anger in the population at large 
it's so big now that I don't see this situation being solved or going back to before the situation like before the coup. Mm, yeah, and and I understand. Yeah, of course, we're talking about this coup that happened in in February 2021. But there's a lot more history that goes back a little bit further here as to as to why all of this is happening. Just very briefly, Siegfried, could you could you walk me through a little bit of of really what has led the country to this point? So uh, basically, the military declared after the two uh, during the coup, the the Tatmadaw declared the November 2020 elections uh, invalid. So they made a coup and they, they officially said we're going to do another election, one that is fair because those elections were rigged. So essentially they overturned, they overturned a civilian election, essentially. Exactly, exactly. That civilian government had been in power for a brief time and, that, and the coup was the end of a brief stretch of democratic rule in Myanmar that saw power being transferred once again to the Tatmadaw. After the coup, or during the, the, the days of the coup, uh, the, the leader of the NLD, the civilian government, uh, Hong San Suu Kyi, was arrested together with uh, ministers, members of parliament, and the government, her government totally dissolved. Now the NUG is acting as a shadow government outside the country. The na- national, sorry, the NUG is the, the national. The national union government, that it's, that it's acting, that they say that they are still the recognized uh, government uh, in the country, which of course the military does not agree with. Mm. So there's really a struggle here between the military wanting power and then the, the, the government who that the military does not recognize as, as being the rightful government. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but I think the coup and this and this civil war that is spreading throughout the country now because of the coup, this is years in the making. It's basically the last drop uh, in the bucket that made the population completely explode in anger and rage, and they cannot handle anymore being oppressed by the military fighting back. We'll be right back. Human rights groups have accused the, the military junta in Myanmar of, of targeting and killing protesters, including children. During your time there, Siegfried, I, I just want to ask you, what, what did you see? Um, I've, seen, I've seen the junta indiscriminately uh, shelling civilian areas. Uh, we, have to, we have to understand that in this conflict, there isn't a clear... There isn't a front. There isn't a barrier where you, where you arrive and they're fighting. The fighting is happening everywhere. The government controls certain towns. They lose certain towns. They control certain positions and they lose. But they are in ethnic areas such as Kareni. The Tatmadu sees the entire population, from what I've, from what I understand and I've seen and witnessed on the ground, as enemies, as a situation to control by the rule of the gun because i've seen i've seen them and, and they are basically what they're doing they're they are laying landmines mm-hmm. in around towns villages people's homes properties churches uh in places that they lose control they leave thousands of landmines which will take years to clear i've seen hospitals being shelled by mortar fire um we see the 
an increase in air bombardments, in helicopter attacks, in jet fighter attacks, in mortar shelling, in landmine using on on civilian population because the, the civil war now it's engulfing the entire country and we know that half of the country now is not in the control of the armed forces of Myanmar. Hmm. You mentioned landmines and, and I, I know you went to a, a field hospital for landmine victims. What was that like? Uh, yeah, very sad. Uh, you, you realize how serious the situation with landmines is in this in this area of the country and then you you tell yourself is this happening throughout because this is going to take this is a humanitarian uh, uh, catastrophe mm. it's there are very small landmines and but the damage that they cause uh, to people psychologically physically but psychologically as well because people know that they cannot go back home. They cannot go back to the villages, to the communities, to the towns that they leave behind. And, and why, can you just connect that for me? Why, why is that, that they can't go back? Because it seems that one of the tactics of the Tatmadu is to lay these landmines uh, in, urban, in urban settlements where they cannot, that, that they cannot control. So the urban settlements where there is too much fighting or they have to retreat, they will leave all these landmines around. So villages, communities, towns, uh, crossroads, uh, strategic positions, mm -hmm. if they don't control that area, if they cannot hold to that area, they will leave all these landmines, which then in the monsoon season, the landmines wash away, they change position, they go into the rice paddies. And so not only uh, armed combatants uh, suffer because of this, but children, women, civilians on the ground. And I don't see how these landmines will be cleared in the future. Surely the Tatmadu has no plan of clearing them. I understand uh, that you, you spoke to some people who, whose lives were affected by these, these landmines. Can, can, can you tell me about anyone that you talked to? I met a woman, she, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in, on my notes, she was 32 years, she is 32 years old. Uh, I don't want to name her uh, because of security reasons, mm -hmm. I prefer not to. Um, and she lost uh, most of her leg uh, and a part of her foot because she was walking back home from the rice paddy in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And this is an area where she had been living most of her life. There was a, land, a landmine on the path and she stepped on it. And her older daughter was there in the hospital when I visited her. I asked her a few questions of what happened, where she's, what she was from, and, um, and yeah, and she told me that this happens on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, this is a danger that people, the civilians have to face daily now. And as the conflict goes on, the more the danger increases because the number of landmines being placed in this area increases. And it's just in a split second, your entire, your entire life changes. Yeah. I think one of the, the really compelling photos that, that you took, Siegfried, is, is from the, the field hospital where they were retreating landmine victims. Can, can you describe that photo to me? Uh, yes, it's about it's the it's the picture of this man be missing both his legs. Is uh, a soldier, part of the Kareni army, and in the image you see that his friend is helping him onto the bed. And I think this this picture summarizes the tragedy of war, the conflict in Myanmar, 
the human side and the suffering of the situation over there. You know, as, as photojournalists, we try to tell the story through one picture every time. And I think this is the picture that allows somebody, I hope the reader, to look at it and say what, what's going on there. Mm. Yeah, wow. It is, it is a very, uh, it's, it's an arresting photo. It really makes you, you kind of stop and, and understand what's, what's happening in that situation. Uh, from everything that you've seen, Siegfried, what has this, this ongoing conflict done to, to the lives of the people who actually live in Myanmar, to, to their experiences? Um, I, I believe it's creating uh, a trauma that will not go away anytime soon. Uh, the trauma was already there before because the psychic uh, of how the military regime has been controlling the population for all these years, uh, it's great, uh, the oppression, it's great, the stories that you hear from the past, the elders, uh, how they explain that you know, the entire villages were burned down when there were children or they saw people being killed. And all this, you know, it's back, it goes back to the Tatmado, to the military regime, to the junta. Uh, I think today this trauma is even greater because we, we are seeing, we have witnessed an entire, an entire social, all the social classes stopping. Young people have stopped going to school. They've stopped going to university. In Kareni state, there is no electricity. There is no network. All this has been cut off either by the fighting, because of the fighting, or by the regime itself to stop certain areas from functioning properly because rebels are there, because armed groups are there. And the country feels that it's now frozen, frozen into this forever conflict. I only hope that in all this, uh, the suffering of the civilian population on the ground will not increase. Now civilians are mostly staying in displaced camps. In these displaced camps, the only humanitarian help that they are receiving it's from the Kareni army and local organizations on the ground because the United Nations and international NGOs are not allowed to operate in these places. So there is a great need of human resources that it's lacking. Mm. Wow. Just lastly, Siegfried, you published a series of very compelling photos from your time in Myanmar uh, in the Globe this weekend. What do you hope will come of the work that you've done there? Well, you always, I always hope that my work can raise, ultimately, awareness. First of all, for, for the public, whoever picks up the magazine, the newspaper, or looks at, looks at the computer in the morning and looks at the story, to understand what's happening. You know, internationally, there is so much going on with Ukraine and, and the economic crisis today and all the other crises around the world. We don't hear much about Myanmar. But it's a dire situation that thousands of people, if not millions, are facing on a daily basis. There is a civil war going on in the country. I think next year is going to get much worse before it gets better. Uh, I hope that <clears throat> this work is, is seen uh, by as many people as possible. And you always hope that maybe the right people can see this and they can actually bring this ag as an agenda 
in an international level and maybe make some noise, shake the system a little bit, the right people, the people in government that can actually say back to the government in Myanmar and say, okay, you know, we know what's happening, we've seen it because we have journalists on the ground. And I know that for journalists it's very difficult to get there, so I take my job there very seriously. Mm. Siegfried, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you'd like to see some of the photos Siegfried took in Myanmar, you can go to theglobeandmail.com. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>